Hi, and welcome to Mumspire, your go-to place for inspiration, information, and great tips on how you can become a happier and healthier mum. My name is Anna Maria, and I'm your host. I work as a naturopath, nutritionist, herbalist, doula, and yoga instructor. But most importantly, I'm a fellow mum. Welcome back. We are going to talk about toddler tantrums today and I'm joined by Helena Mooney who I had on the podcast a couple of episodes ago where we talked about aware parenting for new mums and that whole journey of settling into motherhood in that first year, connecting and bonding with our babies. And I have asked her to come back to talk about toddler tantrums because that is a different time in our lives. And we go from this delicious year of having our babies to suddenly having these small little human beings running around, finding their voice, having needs that has to be met at random times and also learning how we can support our children best when they have these tantrums and also how we can support ourselves because when we're dealing with a very feisty and tantrumy toddler it can be really hard to be a parent in that situation especially if it's happening uh, in the middle of the street in the middle of a supermarket or if it's number 17 tantrum of that day we are only human beings we are only mums and yes we are superhumans most of the time but the truth is it is emotionally and physically taxing so I wanted to chat to Helena about the different techniques that she suggests and offers in their wear parenting techniques Helena is a parenting by connection instructor. She's an aware parenting instructor, a doula, a birth advocate, and she's also a mom to two beautiful children. She has an eight-year-old daughter and a two-year-old son. She has been personally following this way of parenting for over eight years with her own children and loves supporting parents in one-on-one -on -one consultations or through her online courses and in-person groups. Helena has a course available online, so if you're interested after listening to this episode of diving a little bit deeper and exploring this technique further, highly recommend that you go on to her website, which is birthandparenting.com.au forward slash mumspire. So on her website, you can actually find a course called Annoying to Amazing. And in there, she will dive in a little bit deeper and in more detail as to how we support our tantrumy toddlers as well as ourselves. I really truly believe that there is no way we can stop our children from having tantrums. I have not found the magic bullet when it comes to that personally, nor have I read any article or research in regards to toddlers that does not have tantrums. So the fact of the matter is our children will have tantrums. And the key, I guess, is to really find a way that we can navigate these tantrums the best possible way, because being a parent is hard work at the best of times. And if we don't have techniques in place to support ourselves and our children, it can feel really taxing and it can feel like we're not connecting with our children. Sometimes it can feel like we just have to yell and scream and put down firm boundaries when that is actually not what our child needs. And if you know that mum guilt feeling, that residue of guilt, if we've lost the plot, which is going to happen, I guess, inevitably in some situations. But if we can more often meet our children 
emotionally and physically where they need us it is actually such a beautiful connection that we build and that mum guilt that disconnect is not as prominent so I highly recommend the aware parenting techniques and I hope that you learn some new tools and if you want to dive further go on to her online program which is going to support you even more welcome back Helena thanks for being here again oh thank you so much it's so lovely to be here again thank you one of the reasons of doing this podcast is because one thing is just to become a mum and just have your life change. But then you sort of get used to that and you're giving your baby solids and maybe sleeping is starting to work out somewhat. And then suddenly, boom, you have a toddler <laughs> on your hands. <laughs> and that's something you cannot prepare yourself for. But hopefully we can try today to talk about how we recognize this transition in our children. And they suddenly go from being a little baby to... A very big baby with lots of opinions and very loud, loud tantrums. Helena, what do you think is the best way to prepare yourself and your toddler emotionally for the transition that suddenly happens? It just comes out of the blue. Oh my goodness. And it happens at different stages. So personally, my daughter, who's now eight, she was starting to have tantrums under one and I'm going, hang on, this is not meant to be happening until they're two. So yes, I, I think it just happens when it happens. <laughs> and, you know, last time we spoke, we were talking about listening to feelings and recognizing that babies have feelings from a really young age and how to listen to to feelings then. So if, you know, if people have listened to that and now they're listening to the toddlers, it's it's helpful to sort of tantrums as an evolution of that sort of same process of, of recognizing that these lovely little beings are becoming more autonomous in the world and, you know, more involved in the world. And yeah, as you said, having lots of opinions and often counter to the opinion that we have about what they want to do. So to prepare ourselves, I think that, you know, the number one thing is, is it's really normal. You know, every child tantrums, every child has that need to tantrum in, in many ways. So don't think that your child is a bad kid or it's going to end up into this, you know, dreadful teenager or you know it's 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 so normal and our irritation to them is also very normal as well <laughs> so we're not bad if we get exasperated with you know these these beautiful vibrant challenging toddlers so essentially it's just all these emotions that are just becoming tenfold and suddenly the baby now being a toddler can maybe put two and two together in a different way than a baby can. So suddenly it's, I want that glass of milk now, not in two minutes. And then they can't express the irritation that they have and they melt down in the middle of everything. Yeah, because, you know, they're not articulate beings yet and different parts of the brain has different components. And so, you know, the limbic system is their feeling, their communication, their emotional center and the prefrontal cortex, which is, you know, about language and impulse control and long-term consequences and thinking about things. That's really forming. So they're still very much in that sort of limbic system, emotional driving way of being. So if, you know, if they want something, they want it right now and they're not going to say please mommy could I have that glass of milk it's okay you can sit down away it's like I want that milk now so just recognizing that they're much more physical emotional beings than we are because we have that overlay of logic and rational and remembering the last time that I needed to wait and things were okay so they don't have that sense so really just allowing recognizing that that's really normal and natural. And there's really tangible things that you can do to be with your children when they're having those toddler tantrums. But I think just first of all, just recognizing that it's normal. 
child's not abnormal, it's completely normal to have those feelings. And also because they're getting more, you know, the first time that your child can sit up on themselves, they're becoming more involved in the world and then they can stand up and then they're even more involved in the world and their sense of autonomy. And as human beings, you know, to have that sense of autonomy is such an important part of our life, isn't it? I mean, we love to feel a sense of control about our lives and yet also to be part of a community, part of a tribe or family. And so it's it's that balance between I need to be autonomous, but I also need you to be connected with me too. So it's the testing boundaries. They're in a tough time, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> Learning all these things, but they're so little. I know. <laughs> so little, but so big in their emotional outburst. Oh, so loud, so loud. <laughs> So often, you know, when I speak to mums or when I just go in the supermarket or stroll in the park or yes. whatever you do, and you see a mum who's, you know, bright red in her face and she's dealing with a child that is having a full-blown tantrum in the middle of aisle seven, and you feel like the whole world is breaking down. Certainly the child does, but for us mums, it can feel like, oh my God, this will never stop. And I can't handle this. Like that, I feel as parents, we can... We feel like we lose connection and touch with our child when they're in that state. And I think that can be, I mean, I want to say scary or frightening, but it sounds a bit serious, but it's just that it becomes extraordinarily stressful. And especially when it happens seven times a day. Yes. And of exhausting. course, I, yeah, yeah. And I think that, you know, I would like to just hear how, because of course, when I look at a, if I have a mum who is presenting with a very, a child who has a lot of tantrums. You know, I look at, could there be a deficiency somewhere? Could there be heavy metal loadings and things like that? But how do we address it from an emotional aspect? I think there's two questions in my question, of course. There is how do we address our child in that state of rage and just frustration and sadness and everything else? And just they're throwing things everywhere, hurting themselves maybe, banging their head against yeah. the floor. And then the mom standing there going, trying to shush and trying to hold them or trying and they won't be touched. I feel like almost it has to be first aid first, looking for after the mum, because you can stand there in the supermarket and everyone is looking at you. What would be your advice and how do you help your clients in that situation where like, this is happening seven times a day, I can't do this anymore? Yeah. I mean, being in a shopping mall, it's just, it's excruciating when your child's happy. And you know that everybody else has gone through it, but it's just excruciating. So for dealing with tantrums, is it's ideal to really deal with tantrums in a, in a really effective way at home because it's recognizing that when our toddlers are in that state and they're throwing things and they might be banging their head against the wall, they literally can't think. And so, you know, I talked about the limbic system and the prefrontal cortex earlier on. So, you know, when our limbic system gets stressed, that's our emotional core, everything else goes offline. So even though your child might be able to use words, they can't use them at that point because everything, their prefrontal cortex is offline, so they can't articulate what's going on for them. And they can't think logically that hitting is a really bad idea. You know, they just can't think. So sometimes we either can move in and we're trying to rationalize with them and reason with them and explain them because we don't, we might not want to be really punitive with them. So we're trying to say, sweetie, you can't have the extra packet of biscuits because you've had X, Y, Z, and they're just raging and you're trying to explain it. So it's recognizing that they can't think and they need us to help them because they're, they're really out of control. They're not being manipulative. They're not, you know, doing it deliberately to annoy you. They're literally out of control. So the more that we can move in and recognize that they're out of control and sort of contain them in a way that they can have those feelings that can come out, but not in a destructive way. So 
say you're at, let's let's take it home <laughs> when let's it's easier there, to get and start at home so say you know your child is wanting an extra biscuit at home or whatever it is and you've already given them a biscuit or you might choose not to give them a biscuit at that time to say sweetie i'm not going to give you a biscuit your child will go i want a biscuit or whatever you know in toddler speak and so what we want to do is recognize that just because we say no that doesn't necessarily mean that the toddler's going to go, oh, okay, that's fine. You've said no. They're going to have a reaction to it and that's okay. So we allow them to have their feelings around us saying no. And that can be a big explosion of throwing and hitting and doing all that sort of stuff. And to recognize that because tantrums are a normal, natural, healthy way of releasing stress for our kids. So allow them to have that expression, but you contain it. It's hard to explain sometimes I'm like I'm waving my arms around as yeah, I'm talking to you. Yeah, that you're missing <laughs> out on. <laughs> so you're not saying yes, darling. Of course you can hit because you're upset that you haven't had a biscuit. You're going. I'm not going to let you hit, but I'm also recognizing that you are genuinely upset and you have a valid reason for being upset. And if we can allow our kids to express themselves in that contained way, where we're not letting them be destructive to other people or to themselves, and just and just allow them to have that cry, they will then cry out their upset. So similar going back to the baby then. Once you get to that stage, out it goes. Yes. It's not a problem anymore. Exactly that. So you sort of, you move in. You don't just sort of yell across the room, don't throw something. <laughs> you want to move. So you want to assess the situation. Can I help my child? Is it because they are lacking information or do they really want to do something that is actually okay for them to do? But say in the instant of the biscuit, you're going, no, sweetie, I'm not going to let you have another biscuit. And then you allow them to offload those feelings. Because if you try and rationalize, as I said, they're not listening. If you try and tell them that they're being naughty or to, to get them to stop doing the tantrum those feelings that they're about the biscuit are still going to be in there and so you want those feelings to come out so then they're no longer upset and also to recognize that it might not just be about that biscuit so we call it the broken cookie syndrome so say in the instant you are giving them a biscuit and they get really upset that the cookie's broken so what it is it's a pretext for them to cry does this make sense? It makes total sense. I <laughs> so, feel like crying if my cookie is broken. <laughs> and it could be about, you know, and this is the thing, we often get really bewildered with our toddlers going, why are you crying about that? You know, you've had something just five minutes ago. Why are you yeah, crying? Yeah, because we have the logic behind it. And we're yes. like, well, it's just broken. It still tastes the same. But for them, it's not a whole cookie. No. And so they've got an accumulation of feelings. So, you know, often like we go throughout the day and we might have a really stressful situation, but we can hold it together, you know, and then we're stuck in traffic. We can hold it together. And then suddenly we come home and our partner or our good friend says, how are you? And we just lose it. And we just either fly off the handle, which often happens when my heart husband comes home and he says something really innocuous and I just fly off the handle at him or we can burst into tears. It's an accumulation of stress. And so if we recognize that our toddlers do get stressed, even though it feels like we're bending over backwards to do everything possible to make them happy, they'll get stressed about things and frustrated and that's fine. So, But their frustration and upset can come out fixated on that cookie being broken. So that's why they can be completely unreasonable over something that you think is totally reasonable. Mm, yeah, that makes total sense. So it's almost important to remember that when you go, that you have no reason to cry. Like it's just, it's we're fixing it now, but they are still crying and having a tantrum. You have to then remind yourself as the mum that, ah, maybe it was this morning when yes. 
you know, the milk spilled and then as well, and then daddy had to leave for work and then your big sister, yeah. something, something. So reminding ourselves that there is more beyond that one little tantrum. Yes. And that your child always has a valid reason for crying, even if you don't know what it is, or even if you don't agree with why they're crying, they, to them, it's really important to them. So that's why when we're with a child in tantrum mode, it's more than just stopping the behavior. So it's more than them just stopping them from throwing something or hitting. What you're wanting to do is help them release those emotions that's been driving them to hit and to do all those annoying things that toddlers do, or we all do at some point. So it's a very different motivation. So that's why just rather than saying that's bad behavior or that's good behavior, it's like, well, why are you doing that? Why are you upset over that biscuit being broken when on a different day you couldn't care less because you just want to have the biscuit yeah good point I think I've been in that situation (laughs) (laughs) and so but it's hard and this is so easy to talk about but difficult to actually put into practice so when your child is having that big rage it's really to get close to your child and if they're starting to throw something you you know you just stop them from throwing and you just stay with them and try and contain them and go sweetie and often we don't need to say anything because toddlers are great they just cry they just get right into it and then they'll then they'll move on and you'll notice you know all of us who've had toddlers who've cried they do when they finish they're light and they're often it's like it's never happened I know yet we're sitting there scarred and wounded (laughs) for life completely going oh have we finished okay (laughs) which leads me to the question of how do we then in that so we obviously we contain them in the sense that we let them have the expression and the tantrum and we make sure they don't hurt themselves of course and or us as in they're not hitting or biting or kicking yes and then it passes and I've had this feeling so many times where I go that I actually felt the residue of all that rage and sadness that my child felt and I couldn't get over it as fast. Like how, how, do, how do we heal? In, and it seems silly because there we have a broken cookie, but we've had you know, all this accumulation effect that suddenly happened and we have a massive meltdown somewhere. And then it sits inside of us because we're, we're the adults. We're meant to move above and beyond but it's just not that easy. We still feel that, wow, well, he really got angry or he or she really got angry with me and and it can sit there. You know what I mean? Like you can sit with that feeling afterwards. What do we do with that? Yeah, it's a really good point. And because, or even we can't be with our kids when they're in that state. Like, you know, it can really trigger massive reactions in us going, you know, you're so ungrateful. How dare you behave in this way? You know, blah, blah, blah. Well, if you're going to be like that, we're not going to have any biscuits ever again. <laughs> it can really sometimes take us by surprise at how how difficult we find those situations in our own emotions and so it's so important to look at that for ourselves because toddlers are such emotional physical beings so if we're completely just sort of if we're not addressing our own emotions it's very challenging and also so we're looking at what's going on for us right now and getting the support that we need now like you know a massage once in a while would be nice or or taking some time out and, and having some time alone away from your toddler, but really recognizing what's important for you, what's going to nourish you in this moment. could be more sleep, it could be a night out with the girls, or just something. Then to also look at what's going on emotionally. So what emotionally, what's upsetting you right now? And also, it's helpful to talk to somebody who's not going to judge you. So when you feel like, you know, and I felt like I wanted to throw my toddler off balcony, can't you <laughs> And so it's helpful to have 
somebody that you can feel safe, that you can say how you're really feeling. I would never throw my toddler off the balcony. But, you know, sometimes you just get so overwhelmed with it all that you just go, I can't stand this anymore. I'm done. So if you can find somebody who you feel safe enough to say those feelings, you will feel so much better. You can have your own mini tantrum going, I hate it. I hate her. I hate my husband. I hate everybody. It's awful. And you offload and you just go, God. And then at the end of it, you go, oh, I'm okay. Actually, I'm all right. And you feel so much happier because you feel you've had your own little tantrum too. And often the more that you can say what you would ideally like to say to your toddler in that safe space with your friend or counselor or whoever, then you're less likely to be reactive in that actual situation with your toddler. It's almost like we have to make sure we don't have the accumulation effect within ourselves. Uh, Whereas the toddler will just inevitably have that. But we actually, hopefully, have the skills as parents (laughs) to work through and hopefully implement some tools so we don't have that accumulation of build up so that when our toddler have a meltdown, that is when we express all the rage from work or from our relationship or whatever else. Yes. And so if we have that safe space, then we can rage about, you know, and get really upset or just talk ad infinitum about work, a partner, toddler, where we're living, the state of the house or whatever, you know, whatever's really bothering you because you can't separate it out. It's, it's everything. So if you can have that safe space, that's so helpful because then you will naturally be more patient rather than forcing patients going, I must be patient. I must be calm. But underneath you're really tense that's just not going to work. If you can genuinely offload whatever's bothering you, then you can be calmer with your toddler. The other thing to really recognize as well is that we're going to have triggers from our own childhood, which can some people say, oh, this is utter nonsense. Leave your childhood behind. It's all fine. But there's nothing. (laughs) I remember somebody saying to me that you can meditate and sit on a mountain forever and, you know, you don't be in this Zen-like state. Try finding that Zen-like state when you've got a toddler, a baby, an eight-year-old. You know, it's it's so hard, isn't it, to keep that sense of peace and inner oh, calm. It's impossible to tap into. <laughs> <laughs> so not only have you got the situation that's going on now, but you've actually do have past hurts that happened to you, because our brain does store everything that's happened to us, whether we can consciously remember it or not. It's stored in our limbic system, which is our emotional centre. So if if your toddler is doing something that you actually now think. I don't think I was ever allowed to express myself in that way. I don't think I was ever allowed to do that. Then we, it's in our bodies in a visceral sense. So then we could have a bigger reaction than somebody else. And this is why sometimes the conflict between our partners can come up because say something that was fine in my house might not have been fine in my husband's house growing up, family growing up. So I don't have a reaction, but he does. And then that can cause a conflict as well. So it's really important to recognize what's going on for us from our own childhoods too and to talk about that in that lovely safe space that you can find hopefully with a friend or counselor or somebody. It sounds like it would be good to have like a monthly meeting or a situation where you create a space for yourself to let it all out together with maybe another mum or whatever you suggest so that you almost prevent yourself from having these build up. Which is interesting because a big part of this approach is recognizing that you know as parents we can know everything in the world about how to deal with tantrums and toddlers and babies and teenagers and what have you. But if we have got the emotional charge, if we're not looking after ourselves, we just, and this is why we come out with things that we always vowed we'd never say and going, that was my mother. I just channeled through my, you know, shouting or whatever it was. So um, we call it a listening partnership. So that's 
I think I mentioned it when I last saw you, um, chatted to you. And um, so it's where you, you chat with another mum, somebody you feel comfortable with, and you just let rip and, and advocate it like weekly or as often as you can because it prevents you from then flying off the handle so much later on. It's really helpful. And because then you have that safe space and then you offer that safe space to that other mum, it's a very mutual, so you don't feel crap. Basically, <laughs> you feel it's, you know, it's really normal. Yeah, and you don't feel like a bad mum. No, no. And this is your thing as well, you know, thinking, oh, I'm going to be perfect and I can do this perfectly. We're all going to be triggered and we're all going to lose it at our kids and we're all going to not be able to cope with tantrums at times and just go, I just have to walk away. And Patty Whitfler, who founded Hand in Hand Parenting, which is who I trained with that organization she says if it all is going wrong and you just don't know what to do and it's all overwhelming lie down on the floor just like give up Ooh. I know it's brilliant <laughs> right or you take yourself away and you give yourself a time out going I just can't handle this right now I just need to remove myself from the situation before I lose it so you know it's really important to own what's going on for you and either just go I can't deal with this right now just can't do it so although the child is having a tantrum in the kitchen with the cookie Maybe you just need to go and just sit on the sofa, lie on the floor somewhere and just breathe. Is that sometimes, what you mean? Sometimes, because if you get so tense that you just, after a while, you just want to throw the cookie jar across the room or you just, you know, want to slam some, you know, you, you, we all get to that, <laughs> that quite an overwhelmed state. It's far better for us to go, hang on, this is not, I'm not helping anybody right now. And then you'll be able to repair it. And next time your child has a tantrum, you'll be there and you'll be able to listen and it'll be marvellous but nobody can do it all the time so glad to hear that <laughs> so often when we have these situations these tantrums um i mean sometimes it's understandable they've hurt themselves and it's uh, and they're upset and they are not just getting over it really quickly and you need to sit with them for a while but then there's other times like the supermarket or the car seat that they don't want to sit in or really small things. And we've talked about the accumulation effect and why that may then happen over very small things and be very large tantrums. But sometimes it feels like they're out to get you and they're actually doing something on purpose to drive you mad. And um, it, like they may be, you know, you go, you can't hit your sister or you can't hit our dog. Uh, and then they look at you and they start hitting yes. that particular object. And it feels like they have planned and schemed this against you so that you will have a reaction. What are your thoughts on this? Yes, because they also choose it at really annoying times to do it, like just when you're about to leave the house or just, at, you know, your mother's arrived and everybody's on good behavior. So it feels, yeah, it can feel really, <laughs> you know, I've told you not to hit, you know not to hit, so why on earth are you hitting? You know, And they're looking at you while they're, they're doing it. They're looking at you while they're doing it. <sighs> <laughs> are they out to get us no. no they're not even though it can really feel like it and I think sometimes it's quite helpful to actually take a bit of a step back and to look at this approach is about recognizing that we're all inherently good loving cooperative people it's in our interest to cooperate with each other you know we're tribal family-based creatures so although toddlers especially are starting to assert their sense of autonomy it's also important that they assert autonomy, but within that sort of connection of a family that we have. So it's not in their best interest to piss everybody off around them, basically. So when they are 
doing those annoying things, as I said, their brain is literally not thinking straight. They're just not able to think straight. And when they're looking at you and you've said, do not hit your sister, do not pull the tail on the cat, whatever it is, and then they go ahead and do it, they aren't doing it manipulatively or deliberately in that sense. They just can't think. They're overwhelmed with feelings. So Patty Whitfler, who created Hand in Hand, she sort of describes it as like a come get me. I, I can't think. It's like, just come and get me. Attention. Come and get me because I'm so overwhelmed and I'm just, I can't control myself. I literally cannot control myself. So that's why in those times, that's when we need to move into them and we need to move closer to them and to stop them from doing their behavior because ultimately they don't want to hurt the dog. They don't want to hit their sister, but they're so full of feelings that all their logical rational impulse control part of the brain has shut down so it's it's an actual thing (laughs) Um, and that's why what they need from us is they need to feel our connection because connection is we can their limbic system is like scanning around all the time it's like this little radar system going do I feel safe do I feel connected to anybody and so when they don't feel connected to somebody even though we might feel that we're there and they should feel connected to us that's when they the rational part of the brain starts to go offline or if they've got an accumulation of stress like you said earlier on you know something happened dad's gone to work blah 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 all this stuff is accumulating that's when their limbic system's freaking out and everything rational goes offline so the way that we help our toddlers and this is perfect for older kids as well is we move in we offer our loving connection and we can do that playfully and this is also a revelation too is that We don't have to be so serious all the time with toddlers or with anybody in general. And we can go in going, because if we recognize that um, they're doing it because they can't think and what they need from us is connection, first and foremost, and then this emotional release, we can move in and connect playfully. Can we go, I can see you're doing that. That means I'm going to kiss you a thousand times. And we move in and we you know, kiss them all over and, and that starts to help them to laugh. And laughter is also a stress release. So um, crying is helpful and laughter is helpful. So what's great is to recognize that you're not giving in to your child. You're not um, rewarding them for their bad behavior by going in and giving them a big kiss and a big cuddle. You're actually giving them what they actually need. And that is connection with you and then an opportunity for emotional release, which can be through laughter or it can be through crying. So if you go and playfully release their emotions with them, does that mean that they're going to pull the tail again next time or will they find other ways? Well, we often sort of tell our children off going, oh, well, they're just doing it just for attention. And they need our connection and our attention just as much as they need food, water, shelter. So, you know, if when our child plays up because they're hungry we don't go oh they're just doing that because they're hungry I'm not going to feed them we then go they're hungry okay I'll feed them (laughs) or they're tired I'll help them go to sleep and we don't deny them what they need in those situations so the same is with attention and so they're doing that because they can't think straight and they they need our attention so by giving them their attention our attention there then is there no need to then pull the tail on the cat after they've given, after they've had received our attention and received that perhaps that emotional release as well. Now the next time that they need attention, they might draw on the walls or they might do something else. But it's you're not rewarding their behaviour. 
Okay, because that's what it can feel like. It sometimes. can feel like that. Yeah. It can absolutely. But if you try it, um, and sometimes the playfulness is enough. It depends on how far gone they've gone. Um, you know, obviously, if they're hitting, if they're hitting their sister, if they're hitting the baby or something, you've got to move in and you've got to stop that straight away. Um, but recognize that they're essentially good, loving people. They're not, haven't been born evil and we've got to discipline them to be good, lovely people. They are that essentially. And so when they're not being good or loving, then there's something that's stopping them from doing that. They're going off track behavior. And by bringing them your love and attention, you're helping them come back to their loving, cooperative self. I like that. Because if you have that in the back of your mind, or again, we might have to get another tattoo. <laughs> you know, other podcasts we had to make it at the two yes. that crying is crying healthy is and healthy. normal. Um, because often when we are in this pattern and the, the tail is being pulled and the, the sister is being hit and everything else is, is breaking down and we're personally at our wits end and we may not be able to give them that extra hug and it seems like they've done it for the fifth time. Mm. So surely they are evil and out to get us. <laughs> yes. um, it can feel like the next step is to punish them. And I personally don't believe in punishment or time out or putting a child in a situation where they feel ashamed. I, I think that that can have some detrimental effects. But I have to be honest, I have been in situations where I go, oh, maybe I'm wrong. Mm. Maybe they do need punishment because they seem to be doing it again. And it's also very tempting as well, because if we're feeling exasperated and powerless, then we just want to lash out ourselves, don't we, at our child well, exactly. who's just being appalling. <laughs> and is that maybe what punishment is? It's a way for us to let our feelings out onto them, and then we think we're disciplining them. Yes. And I think that that's a big part of it. I, most parents don't. We, there's been so many studies that you know smacking is detrimental, obviously, but still some of us are then we accidentally or we're resorted to smacking because we're just going we're so enraged ourselves and that's why looking at looking after ourselves is so important that we don't then get to that point of just complete rage or if we do then we know what we need to do about it punishments comes from that old belief that we're sinful evil creatures who need to be disciplined to be good you know cooperative citizens of the world whereas now we can view ourselves that we're born as I said, cooperative and, and loving. So if we think that that's our true essence rather than being bad, then it's a different way of looking at our children going, okay, how can I help you to come back to being loving rather than how can I beat this evilness out of you? Because, you know, in old days, tantrums were viewed that you were possessed by the devil. It was oh goodness, yeah, well, it can look like it. <laughs> well, it certainly can. <laughs> but that was how it was viewed because that's how they viewed that children were essentially evil disruptive manipulative awful creatures that had to be beat it had to be beaten out of them so now that we don't we recognize that but it's still it still pervades to some degree so play is a whole different way and if you can people who are listening moms who are listening if you can sort of perhaps try to start bringing a bit of a playful attitude to sort of those lower grade tantrums those lower grade misbehaviors just then notice how your child is because often that's probably all they'll need and they'll just you know if you go in and go right I'm gonna come and get you or something playful something where they can laugh and feel you're connected to them or um you know as I said give them as Patty calls it the vigorous snuggle where you just go right I'm gonna if you do that one more time I'm gonna give you a big kiss oh you've done it one more time right I'm gonna come and give you a big kiss <laughs> 
you'll then notice your child's an improvement in your child's behavior afterwards and so then you don't need to go into the shaming or to time out or to even sticker charts which you know can on the surface seem more benign than that but actually it's sort of this is where they of, get a sticker for being good yeah whereas this is believing they don't need to learn to be good they are good when they're not full of upset feelings it's like we just need to clean up the cupboard every now and then for yeah more than- oh that's a great analogy yes <laughs> it's popped in <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's great and so you know regular tantrums is actually i mean you don't want to be having them seven times a day for example but I, my son at the moment is two and a quarter. I can easily distract him from a cry, um, but then his sleep is impacted and then he becomes more and more antsy. Whereas if I just move in, and this is also what you want to do is when your toddler starts to get annoying, move in then. Don't just think, oh, it's going to get better and then wait until it just becomes this catastrophe and then it all just is awful. Try and move in earlier and then that's when play is effective. But when by the time, you know, he's, I don't know, pulling his sister's hair which sometimes happens in our house you know then it's 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 a bit more challenging so move in early and see if you can bring that play and then notice yourself see how your child is afterwards a little bit of um, damage control (laughs) maybe (laughs) well the play sort of can help to prevent it from escalating and you're giving your child what they need which is that connection with you and laughter as I said is is a release from especially also fear as well and so then but in if the play doesn't work and it doesn't work all the time it's not needed or play might spontaneously turn into tears that's brilliant just allow your child to cry because you know if you've come if this uh you know if you haven't listened to the baby podcast or your child is already a toddler and you didn't hear it through the baby crying is so healthy and natural and normal and toddlers are brilliant at crying don't they they cry quite readily <laughs> yeah it's non-stop sometimes so that just say okay you just need to have a cry and then you stay with them while they cry and sometimes it's they can be quite antsy and uh, sort of trying to hit but often then they'll just come and sit in your lap and have a big cry and just don't stop them crying just allow them to cry and stay physically connected and eye contact and allow the process because they will stop crying eventually when they've had enough when they don't need to cry anymore they'll stop and they'll run away and they'll be great yeah it's forgotten so, you know, when we have these little tattoos and, and maybe they're with a babysitter for a couple of hours or they're with a friend or and they're, they're on their best behavior, nothing, no meltdowns, no tantrums, and you pick them up and they blow up oh, yes. like a balloon <laughs> and they, uh, or they explode, I should say. What's that? Because often I feel like this happens a lot to me and I've heard other parents, so I know it's not just me, but where you feel that they're always having a great time with other people, but then when they're with you, they're having tantrum after tantrum after tantrum. What, what are your thoughts on that? Is that because they feel safer with you or is it because that they're more entertained with other people or we're not, they're not triggering them, triggering them that smu- as much? What are your thoughts on, on that type of situation and how can we maybe shine some light on that? Because I think sometimes we can feel a bit like, oh, maybe I'm not good enough as yes. a mom. Maybe they're, you know, really upset with us. Yeah, this is a hard one. I remember a client of mine particularly, you know, had um, mother-in-law and the mother, the children were beautifully behaved, exactly how you described for the mother-in-law, and then came back. And the mother was like, wait, well, they didn't behave like that with me. Sort of in that undercurrent tone going, well, you're obviously not a great parent. Look at me, I'm marvelous. And um, so it was really reassuring for my client to go, it, exactly what you said, our children feel safest with us. And so, you know, if we can make our home this haven that they can freely express really how they're feeling, so then they don't need to tantrum so much when they're with other people. And 
especially toddlers, I mean, they don't have that cognitive thought, but they can be on really good behavior for other people. And this happens, you know, as our children get older and older and they can hold it together. And then when they come back to us, then they can just relax and let rip and feel safe with their, you know, gorgeous mummy and daddy and just like, let it all out, which is great for them but not so great for us because, <laughs> and sometimes people go, oh, they're just paying me back because they had a sleepover and I went out and I had me time. So it's just their way of paying me back. And it's not that at all. It's, they've missed you. They, connection is just so key. And as they're young, especially for young babies, young children, and as they get older, they can manage further time away from us, but they need to feel our sense of connection. So when, you know, and if this happens to your toddlers on a regular basis, you know, those who are listening is to expect it so expect that after daycare or being looked after by a babysitter or mother and granny mother-in-law <laughs> that when they come back I need to I need to focus on reconnecting with my child then and it can be playful or it could be I've just got to listen to this tantrum they're really upset yeah that's a good idea to sort of in a way expect it so that you can hold the space for them with them Yes. In case they do need to release something. It's a very good point. And something that um, we do is called special time. And so it's where you have, you know, one-on-one focused attention with your child. And it's generally with a time, as your children get older, I, I don't really do it with a timer for toddlers, but as they get older, you set a time and it can be like 10 minutes, half an hour, an hour, whatever. And you just pour all your love and attention into your child with no distractions, no checking Facebook or anything like that, which is so tempting. So before and after a separation, it's really helpful to do that separate, to do that special time with your toddler. Um, And as I said, I don't do the timer because they don't really have concept of timer. But, you know, even just five minutes for a toddler is a really, you know, a nice amount of time, 10 minutes. And then they, so they can feel your love, but yeah, expect a tantrum at some point when they come after separation and I always notice that with mine you know even if I know that they've had a brilliant time with them at some point during the day he's going to have a big meltdown over a biscuit or whatever it is over some pretext which is linked back to that separation from from me. Have you experienced that you can actually prevent the tantrum from being either very big or from happening at all by spending that time with them? Yeah it's helpful it does it might reduce it but the aim isn't always to prevent the tantrum because if you recognize that the tantrums are healthy, then then you don't, you know, you're made, I remember chatting to um, a parenting educator who was very proud of the fact that neither of her children had ever had a tantrum. And I was like, oh, I feel quite sad for those children to not have that expression. So definitely you can mitigate it to a certain degree by, you know, by having that, bringing that play so they feel that yummy connection with you. But then that play and that laughter then might easily turn into tears. And if you can recognize that that's just a normal, healthy release, it's no reflection on your bad parenting skills or anything like that. It's just they're sad that they were separated from you and now they're back with you. They feel really safe to release all of that feelings. It may reduce the amount of tantrums, but, you know, the overall goal is not to prevent any tantrums at all. Just to make them more okay. And what about the situations where a child rejects a parent? And often this can happen um, either if the mum has had to go away for a weekend, maybe some time out. For yes, well-deserved. Um, well-deserved time. Or it can also happen for fathers that obviously often go to work and are not around as much. And sometimes a child can 
punish the parent for being away and, and reject the parent. And it can be extraordinarily traumatic for the parent to feel distant by the child and, um, and maybe doesn't feel loved by the child. And it's almost like the roles reverse and the parent become the child and the child become the parent. How do you suggest that we can help heal that situation or that wound that's happening? I suppose mostly for the parent because, as you say, the, fe- the feelings are just coming from the child naturally and they're just expressing themselves the best they can. But as the parent, not bottling up all those emotions and, and, and maybe not punishing the child for punishing them. Yes. <laughs> it's so hard, isn't it? It's It's because... Yeah, it's it's a it's a hard one. But I think the key is to remember that you are your child's world. You know, your child adores you. Absolutely adores you and finds separation from you really hard. It's their way of sometimes keeping themselves from feeling that pain, you know, that upset about being away from you. And but really what your child needs is you and child really wants you and so if you are feeling really upset about how your child is is treating you know is dealing with you is first of all to recognize that your child adores you and is finding it hard but then to you know find somebody else that you can talk about how painful it is because then what you would ideally want to do is bring is to bring play but when you're feeling really rejected and hurt often our gut reaction is to then reject and hurt in return isn't it it's just like well if you're rejecting me well stuff you I'm rejecting you you know and we're in this cycle so if you can work on your feelings and just go look I'm really sad about this and I intellectually understand it but I emotionally feel really sad if you can deal with that elsewhere then you can come back and go then you start doing special time and that special time is such a brilliant way of connecting um so special time is great where you follow the child's lead for a certain amount of time. Um, and But for toddlers, I mean, as I said, they're such physical things. If you can do something that just makes them laugh, which is quite easy, you know, just start playing and not necessarily just playing trains or whatever it is. But if you can play piggybacks or, you know, chasing games where if they're crawling around on the bed and you're chasing after them, anything that elicits laughter is so brilliant. And if they follow the giggles is what this brilliant um, man, Larry Cohen, said, who wrote Playful Parenting. It's such a great book. And um, if you recognize that laughter is a stress release, often from fear as well, uh, from fear. So if you're chasing after them, and then you can't get them, then they're more powerful. And, you know, toddlers just love this sort of thing because they want to feel powerful. And often by the one, by you're the one who's leaving them, they're in a powerless position because they have no control over whether you stay or go. So if you can try and reverse that with some games where they're the more powerful ones and they're trying to get you and they can't, and they always get you or you're trying to get them and that you can't get them, then they're powerful, then that just really helps to reconnect. And then, again, that might then turn into tears. And and if you've worked on your own emotions elsewhere, then you're going to be able to listen to your child's tears. Whereas if you're feeling guilty or upset or rejected, then you, it's hard to listen to your child's tears and upset about being separated from you. Mm. Oh, that's such a, such a good tool to have that play. I can sort of see how you do empower them by leaving, letting them have the experience of being the leader in that situation. And I suppose if you haven't acknowledged how awful it can feel to be rejected by your child momentarily or for days or whatever it may be, but if you haven't acknowledged that for yourself and you're having that play and you're trying to implement the right tools and then end up crying, you could feel like, oh my God, here I am failing again. So I suppose it is 
there is a double step in this one, which is really to acknowledge yourself in the situation and how you're feeling and then being able to fulfill the play to release the emotions. Yes, absolutely. Because you might then come in and play and then they cry and go, go away, daddy, or go away, mummy. And you just think, how dare you? I'm doing all of this stuff to, you know, to reconnect with you and to give you what you need and you're still rejecting me. Oh, well, that's it. That's it. I'm done. I'm walking away from here. So yes, exactly what you said. It, it is a double step. But that's why it comes down to us so much to take responsibility for our own emotions. Mm, there's so much work in this. Isn't <laughs> it's ongoing. <laughs> but it's so worthwhile as well. I found it such a rich experience to really acknowledge my own emotions so then I can then help my child with their emotions in a much more effective way. Well, what I'm feeling as you're talking and as I'm seeing your beautiful body language that unfortunately <laughs> our, li our listeners can't see is that, you know, it's very much a sense of you're in this flow with your child. You're in this listening to their feeling, understanding your own feelings, acknowledging things as they happen because they do happen all the time. And then having the right tools and the right awareness to let them and allow them to unfold in the ways that they need to, instead of having a very antagonistic approach where they're bad and you're trying to get something done and then they're in your way. So we punish them. Yes. It's a very, it feels very different in the way when I listen to you in that whole, we're implementing the game, we're listening, we're taking the time to be present within reason and allowing the feelings to be normal rather than something bad. Yes, and it takes the stress out of it, actually, because if you think, well, I've got to teach my child that they shouldn't hit their sister, therefore, how do I teach my child to do that? Well, generally, I keep saying, don't hit your sister, don't hit your sister. And um, and then if they do hit their sister, then I need to teach them in an increasingly unpleasant way so that they really understand. That's a whole different mindset to, oh, He's hitting his sister because he's upset about something. Let's let's go in and give him a cuddle and a kiss and, and that might help. But then if it doesn't help, then he's going to have a cry and then that will be fine. You know, it's a whole different mindset and it took me quite a long time. And, it, and I find it, you know, it's challenging for my clients often to have that mind shift. So you might have it one day and then the next day you revert back to, oh, my God, you're just so awful um, uh, that, you know, we can oscillate between those mind shifts but it's it does it takes it takes the stress out of it a lot more yes because of course all of it is hard work I mean parenting is just hard work this just it just is however there can be different feelings and different flows within it whether it's a stressful and whether it feels like it's a uphill battle every day or if it just is obviously a time in our lives that requires a lot of attention outside of our own egos yes and and toddlers do require like babies require more attention and toddlers require more attention and, you know, it gets less and less. But what they've shown is that the super, they call it the super protective factor for teenagers. To, so, you know, when they've studied, you know, why teenagers have, you know, one of better expression, gone off the rails, you know, you know, teenage pregnancy, drug use, you know, excessive alcohol use, all that sort of stuff. The, the super protective factor is connection with family, connection with you. So, Rather than waiting to sort of connect with them when they're having a hard time as teenagers, we can do this now as toddlers. So we can connect with our toddlers when they're hitting, when they're being aggressive, when they're just being, you know, throwing themselves on the floor in the supermarket aisle. If they can feel our connection, which they won't to begin with because they'll just be in the thick of things. But if we can really recognize that connection with us is the key, it's not being punitive, it's not being harsh, it's not 
telling them right from wrong, it's connection with us. And then through that connection, then we can teach because then their minds are open to it and they're willing to receive the information. But without that connection, they're not going to be willing. They're not going to be open and they literally will shut down <laughs> in their brain. So that connection is key. So if you can sort of think of my child needs connection and, and rather than going, oh, he's just doing it for attention and deny him attention, equate that to hunger or sleep and you wouldn't deny them sleep or food if they were acting out in that way. So connection is the key. Yeah, it's just, I suppose it's so less graspable than making another sandwich. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yes. emotions are just so much more uh, entangled and difficult. I actually had an experience of this where before I was aware of aware parenting techniques and, and that sort of way of looking at things where my little, she was, my first child was about three, three and a half, something like that. And, um, and she was acting up every single day, the same pattern of screaming, yelling, crying, and it seemed very out of the blue. And I would sort of handle it the best way I thought I was doing and move on and let's ignore that and let's just pretend and do other things and distract, I guess. And then I started reading about stepping in, connecting instead of avoiding and ignoring. And it was profound to see the difference in her and actually see that when she was having this tantrum that was reoccurring every day, when I then instead sat down with her quietly and just said, wow, you're feeling really upset or starting to help her express those feelings that she was obviously having, she would go into a deeper tantrum or deeper yes. feelings and I was like oh my god where are we going I'm making this worse we can sometimes think we're yeah I felt worse. like I was oh I was, I was traumatizing her <laughs> yes. but what I noticed very quickly was that she was getting them out but I had to actually be there with her to get them out and I I actually cried afterwards quietly in the bathroom because I noticed how much she needed that release yes and she was too little to let them out but she was big enough to have the feelings yes. and it was this I was like wow this is really profound so, um, yeah, I feel very passionate about what you're talking about and, and, and just, yes, of course, it's hard work. But as you say, the stress part of it can get eliminated once you approach it. Yes, because we can go, oh, well, you know, am I having to spend loads of time working on my feelings and then listen to their feelings? And oh, my God, can't we just get on with that? But the alternative is a child who's like, can I have this? Can I have that? Can I do this? Can I do that? Stop pulling. And then you're saying, stop doing that. Stop doing, you know, and it's just like, oh, my God. So it's. You know, it's like preparing good food from scratch. You know, it takes time, but the benefits are there. And actually, after a while, it doesn't take as long as it did initially. So to begin with, it can seem really overwhelming and really difficult. But then after a while, it's just like, oh, well, I just, you know, you're just going to have a cry for five, ten minutes. And that's okay. And I'll just sit here. And 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 then and then the investment in that five to ten minutes is so brilliant because then they're so happy and they're so delightful and then siblings will play really well together and or they'll sit and play trains for hours and end or whatever it is that investment time rather than just that constant no don't do that and don't do that and oh god it's really worthwhile i want to talk about a thing that has happened to me and i'm sure it's happened to others as well where you actually do make a mistake oh. believe it or not as a parent <laughs> so often we feel like we're making a mistake and I would probably say that we aren't or we're not bad parents uh, most of the time but occasionally we fail we fail greatly and uh, loudly yes so when that happens when we're at our wits end and when we've tried everything maybe we've tried connecting with them and they still refuse us and they've done it for days or they've had 17 tantrums that day and it's just all just too much and we do lash out in whatever way and it's obviously wrong. 
in the way we're reacting because we are the parent, we are the adult, we're meant to have other tools, but of course we are also just humans and we will fail. Absolutely. So in the in the event that, that when that does happen, how do we say sorry to them? Like how do, you know, because I believe in the whole idea of mirroring them to them, how we should take care of ourselves and take time out. Mommy's going on to yoga to take <laughs> care of herself so I can come back happy and so on. So that they learn that. But when we do fail, how do we actually heal ourselves with them when we have done the wrong thing by them? Yeah. I mean, really, I, th I think it's just really simple and just say, I'm so sorry, you know, and just to really that heartfelt apology, which I've done quite a few times, <laughs> especially with my eight year old, you know, it's. I'm so sorry that I shouldn't have shouted at you and, you know, even though I was angry. And it's being honest. And this is, you know, connection is about honesty, isn't it? It's about not just having this facade of being mummy. It's, you know, I'm Helena and, you know, I completely stuff things up regularly. <laughs> so so I think, you know, in, in many ways that models apologies, which because often I see parents telling their children to say sorry to another child, which... I don't advocate because I think it encourages a child to lie because a lot of the time they're not sorry that they've done it and it doesn't address the reasons why they have done it and helped them with that. And so we're modeling just that genuine heartfelt apology. And it's acknowledging to our children that we have stuffed up and they don't deserve to be shouted at and whatever things we ended up doing. Um, and it gives us all permission to, to stuff things up and make mistakes and then to say, look, I'm so sorry, you know, I'll try not to do it again and you don't deserve to be treated like that because young children especially toddlers they don't have that filter and it doesn't come until about age six before that they can start going actually what you're saying is wrong so when we say to our children which we all do it so you know it's not it's you know it, it's not great but we all do it um we might say I can't even think right now of what we would say but you know we'd all say dreadful things so but they take it in as that's the way it is that's obviously true because mummy said it so if we can then say I'm so sorry I said that to you you know you're you know and try and counter it and just apologize and you know you don't deserve for me to shout at you or say those mean things so even with your two-year-old if you stuff things up one day and you're really stressed out and oh yes everything is on the floor and crazy <laughs> and you uh lose the plot would you then turn around and say actually I'm sorry mummy did the wrong thing oh yes yeah and I'll say it to him sometimes as well buckling him into the car seat and he's howling I'm really sorry but we've got to go and it's it's being genuine it's it's just being you know that genuine I'm, I'm really sorry it's not because I think sometimes you know feel it's like um undermining their parental authority by saying sorry and I don't think it is it's about that connection it's that genuine heartfelt connection and, and we do stuff up and our children are going to stuff up and so it's it's say it means that we've got that safe space in which to admit that we've done the wrong thing. And because we want our children to, to feel that with us too, don't we? We don't want them to feel that they can never make a mistake because we all need to make mistakes to then learn from it. So, uh, yeah, I'm sorry. In a way, it is also that sort of the continuous acknowledging, well, there were some feelings there and they got really heightened and now we're just processing that. It doesn't have to be a long conversation, obviously, with a two-year-old, for example, but allowing yourself to do acknowledge, I did the wrong thing. I'm saying sorry as much as they can understand. They're taking the feelings at least on board and the vibes that comes with it. Yeah. And then it doesn't have to linger. You don't have to feel ashamed that you did something and just pretend it didn't happen because those, as we talked about earlier, are the things that accumulate. Yes. And there you are, suddenly a bad mum, and now you're also ashamed because you can't even say, you know, 
Yes, deal with and it. then when we feel in that state, then we can't listen to their feelings because that then triggers more guilt within us. Because if I hadn't done that, then you wouldn't be feeling that, and then I can't. Oh, you know, it just gets in that spiral. So that's why we say sorry, and then we can take our guilt and our shame and our sometimes resentment still at our child, you know, to that friend or listening partner or you know whoever is a safe place for us to really work on that elsewhere. Because it's important that we do own our own emotions and we deal with them with another adult, but also then acknowledge them with our children, but in a way that's age appropriate for our children too. I mean, I've cried with my daughter, you know, and because as those of you listening who have toddlers, it continues (laughs) as our children get older. Um, And, you know, yeah, Emily and I have cried together and I've said, look, I'm so sorry, I shouldn't have done that to you. And she then apologizes and then it's, it's a genuine connection. It's a genuine apology and, and reconciliation yeah and it sounds like you normalize those feelings too mm, yes yes because I was in my 30s before I realized I was allowed to feel angry um, and so this process is not we don't then say to people it's okay to be sad it's okay to cry because we're modeling it and it just is it just is okay it's like you don't say to a child it's okay to laugh because it is <laughs> you know it's so um it's just free-flowing emotions. Before I let you go, I want to ask you the golden three things that you would recommend. So it's especially for women and mothers who are dealing with toddlers. And although we've talked about some great techniques and some great viewpoints and addressing the emotions and things like that, it will be hard. Yes. Still, you know, yes. this is certainly not the answer to everything being great. But do you have some graspable tools or some techniques that you recommend so if we could get your three amazing ones oh, that would be great amazing <laughs> <laughs> oh it really comes back to my number one which I think I said the last time we spoke was it's so important to look after yourself because if you are depleted if you are running on empty then you will start to feel resentful and angry and you'll start to snap and your patience and your tolerance will be so minimal um, so the more that you can look after yourself the more then you can then look after your children. So that's just number one. And that can look, you know, manifest in going out for girlfriends, going to yoga and having a place to cry or to vent and to rage (laughs) about everything. Um, So to get that emotional and physical support is just so important. And it's very easy to be lost. um, So when you're, I always note, when you're starting to mutter, for fuck's sake, or for goodness sake, under your breath, <laughs> that's a sign that you need to get some support. So that would be my first one. The other one, I think, is just to not take it all so seriously all the time. Yes, you might have shouted at your child, but it doesn't mean that they're going to end up in prison later on. Or they, it just it's it's emotions, and it's and it's all fixable, and <laughs> you can all work with each other and to not take it so seriously. So when your child is, is doing something off track, you can be playful. If we sometimes think we can't be, we're not allowed to be. So you have permission to be playful with your children when, you know, when, when they're being annoying. So, yeah, I think just not to take it so seriously. And then the other one would be, it's not going to be perfect. <laughs> it's just, 
never going to be perfect all the time. Or one day you might go, I've got this thing completely nailed. I'm sorted. Everything's great. And then the next day it's a complete disaster and you're a sobbing wreck on the floor. So <laughs> it's just to accept your children are not going to be perfect. You're not going to be perfect. Your partner's not going to be perfect. But if you have as your essence at your core, your desire to connect in a really meaningful, emotional, heartfelt way, you will find the way. Helena, thank you so much for your amazing words and your time, of course. I think it is so valuable, this information that you're sharing with us and to get this information out there to other mums, because as we've said now a million times, it is a struggle, it is hard and it is very taxing on us. But what I love about the way you work and the way your insights and your experiences is that you allow for the good and the bad and the ugly to be normal. You minimize this duality that I sometimes find in parenting techniques and within mums as well, uh, that there is this duality of good and bad. This is wrong. This is right. If you do it that way, you're doing it right. Or if you're doing that way, you've forever tortured your child or yourself for that matter. So what I love is that there is this, it seems like there is a balance, which thank God there is. We try and find this <laughs> yeah. So I just, I just really appreciate listening to you. Can I, I could go on for hours about this. Um, but I just feel that this information is so valuable and I really appreciate your time and for sharing all this amazing information with us. So oh, thank, thank you, you so much. Well, I'm so grateful to be part of your podcast. I'm so, I love listening to what you have to say and your guests. And so, yeah, thank you for inviting me along. I love it. And I'm so passionate because coming from the feeling that I could be this most perfect parent to then realizing that I'm so not, and then not, you know, it's so easy to to go down that spiral of going oh I'm a rubbish parent and it's all just a disaster to then recognizing no it's not it's just life <laughs> and we can work on it so um yeah thank you and uh, yeah I hope to speak to you again soon <laughs> I have no doubt that we will <laughs> thank you I hope you enjoyed today's episode if you have any questions or topics that you would like me to speak about, I would love to hear from you. You can get in touch with me via my website, annamaria.com.au. And remember to subscribe so that you get each new episode as they become available. I would greatly appreciate it if you could take a moment to write Mumsbyer a review on iTunes. And you can support us even further by making a donation on annamaria.com.au forward slash mumspire. Lastly, I want to say a big thank you to our Danish friend Jesper Huff for making our very own Mumspire jingle. Thanks again for tuning in. Until next time, take care of yourself and your loved ones.